Set yourself a New Year goal, they said. It'll be fun. <sighs> Perhaps swimming in the Irish Sea wasn't such a good idea. Set a more achievable goal, like taking control of your finances with personalised money insights in the Bank of Ireland app. It'll help keep track of your spending, like changes to bills, or you might have too many subscriptions. See your tailored money insights, because your financial well-being is our priority. Bank of Ireland. Begin. Bank of Ireland is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Terms and conditions apply. Great. There goes my towel. The Left Wing, brought to you by Bank of Ireland, a proud sponsor of Irish Rugby. Never stop competing. This is an Irish independent podcast. Can you say no? Like, if I'm Robert Balakou and I'm, I'm no. thinking... <laughs> Don't even entertain it in your mind. You cannot. If, you, if you're asked to play, you play. That's if it. Ireland's call ever comes, Will, you have to answer it. You can't get out of it for, for a trip away to one of your exotic holidays. Bloemfontein is exotic enough to be fair, so that might tempt me. Initially, there was a kind of a backlash against the decision, then the backlash against the backlash, and now I think I'm coming around to a backlash against the backlash to the backlash. Uh, but what's your thought on it? Was it the right decision, in your opinion? Should, should he have made the decision? Which backlash would you like me to comment on? The rugby season is finally up and running, and we had an interesting weekend of URC action to kick things off. Tonight in the show... I will be joined by Luke Fitzgerald, as always, to chat about how the province has got on. Joaquin Tracy will also be here to discuss some of the major talking points from the last few days, including that very controversial call at the end of the Australia versus New Zealand game. Also, we want to hear from you, as always. So please tweet myself or Luke any question you would like answered during the course of the show. Or you could also send us a question to the left wing at independent.ie email address. And we'll try to get to as many of them as we can during the season. But to start things off, I'd like to welcome Keen back to the show for yet another season. Keen, how are things? All good, lads. Thanks for having me back. It's nice to talk to you from terra firma, not in New Zealand, where it was very difficult to get a Wi-Fi connection over there. So hopefully this is better. I know. First world problems. You're only at the greatest tour Ireland have ever played, <laughs> but I'm sure there was some teething problems along the way. But yeah, an interesting first weekend. Plenty to sink our teeth into. One talking point that's come out uh, from the weekend's action, Keane, that we'll start off with is Stuart McCluskey. A lot of people talking about him and his performance against Connacht for Ulster, that one-handed offload. Not only kind of broke open the Connacht defence, but the game as well. Ulster really kicked on and got an impressive victory. He has six Ireland caps over the course of his career. How many do you think he should have? Well, I suppose the question is, why doesn't he have any more? And like, the simple answer is because he's had guys like Robbie Henshaw and Bundy Aki ahead of him and like, those guys have been, you know, okay, they've had their injury problems, but by and large, one of them has been fit when the other one hasn't. And I think, you know, Irish rugby definitely loves like um, someone to kind of, you know, pin their hopes on a why isn't this guy in the squad? I think John Cooney was that for a long time. I think that's probably quietened down and you can kind of feel the momentum building now for Stuart McCloskey. And look, there's no doubt that he's a quality player. I think he's definitely improved his game, I would say, over the last few years. I don't think he was quite hitting these kind of heights in, in the early part of his career. But I think when it comes to picking an Ireland squad, say, um, I think his lack of versatility maybe counts against him at times. Like, so I mentioned Robbie Henshaw there and Bundyaki. They can both comfortably play 12 and 13. Obviously, we've even seen Robbie Henshaw go back at 15. Not that that ended up well. So I think... Andy Farrell and Joe Schmidt was the same. One players who can cover multiple positions, and Stuart McCloskey is predominantly a twelve. Like I don't think I've ever seen him playing thirteen. Um, so I'm sure that doesn't help either. Um, we don't know what he's like in around a squad environment. I would say, um, you know, this is two Ireland coaches in a row who haven't selected him. 
um, Joe Schmidt and for a long time I think people would have said you know his face just doesn't fit he was too loose with his offloading again that's just what you know playing devil's advocate with what they'd say people would have said but Andy Farrell has come in and almost encouraged more of kind of an offloading and expansive game and he still hasn't really been selecting him and even when we think back to the New Zealand tour he was only a late call-up he didn't he didn't make the squad at the first place so um I think it is. It's definitely disappointing from his point of view that he doesn't have more than six caps. And all things being equal, maybe he should have. But even on on the New Zealand tour, okay, he played the second Maori game and he played well. But I don't think like he tore up any trees to the point where you were like, this guy really should be, you know, winning more caps. So, um, like I kind of said, I think Irish rugby loves, you know, kind of getting on the back of someone. Why isn't he getting more caps? But pure and simple it's because he's had two world-class players ahead of him in the pecking order and i think that's what it comes down to ultimately yeah and of those six caps his only six nations appearance was his very first cap against england back in 2016 so his other game five caps were against i think you know japan usa and maybe georgia luke you know what's your read on on Stuart mccluskey obviously as keen mentioned when you're going up against bundiaki and robbie henshaw for you know a starting berth it's going to be a tough battle yes yeah, so the reason I kind of brought it up is that he offers something I think quite different to the other players. His style is different. He, you know, he's a big guy. He does free his hands quite a lot. It does seem to be, as as Keen mentioned, someone who on paper might fit into Andy Farrell's style that he wants to play, but hasn't really been brought in. What do you think? Look, I'm actually a huge fan of his, um, and it's probably the only time you'll ever hear me say specializing actually doesn't isn't actually an advantage for him here and it's probably cost him a lot of caps uh i think keen you know that's, that's probably what keen was keen's feelings on the matter as well is that obviously the two guys you know you can play bundy and henshaw together and if one of them's out generally you know even if, if you know if ring if ring rose is out then you can kind of play one of them as well um i think he probably you know at international level there is certainly a step up there's no doubt about that and i don't think he can physically impose himself the same way that he can in a even in a Heineken Cup game, but, you know, less so there. I think definitely in, you know, rugby championship in the league over the course of his career, you know, he's really difficult to to contain, Um, you know, and in a Connick side on the weekend that was underperforming, that defensively had had lots of issues for a long time, he looks great. But like any good defender, like that piece of play was a gorgeous piece of play for that Luke Marshall try. But any defender worth us all, like I've played for a centre, I'm not going to try and stop him um, getting his hands over the top of me. But what I'm going to do is, if he opens himself up like that, I'm going to I'm going to put a serious shot on him. You know, as a, as an international player myself, I know like there's some guys, Sonny Bill Williams. Like I'm not going to try and stop him offloading. Like I'm going to just smash him. So like he he you'll come across players that he can take advantage advantage of at that level that he probably won't be able to do um, at, at international level. Now. What I will caveat all of that in saying is that he's got very few opportunities. I thought he was very harshly dealt with in that England match. Um, you know, he could, he could, he's definitely a player I think that could have picked up all of these things and become a better player by playing in the national team. Um, so look, he's been a bit unlucky, I think, with the competition. Um, and I do think that he was a bit unlucky with maybe how he fit into Joe Joe Schmidt's plans. I, I look and just on the personality side of things. He's a great guy to have in the trenches. He's a good, he's a nice lad too. So it's actually, it's not like a, it's not a clash of personalities per se. Um, it would have only probably been based on views on his game and where he fit in. Uh, would, would be my own opinion on that. Whereas I think the likes of a John Cooney, just to, you know, that was the example that was used. 
John maybe had a bit of a clash of personalities with the coaches. Um, I don't think it was more, I actually think it was less to do with John's game than actually, you know, him being maybe a little bit confrontational and maybe being out in the media a bit more. You've never had that issue with the likes of McCluskey, I don't think. I think one of the things as well that might work in his favour, Will, is the fact that if you look at Irish rugby over the last 18 months and if you look at combinations, um, himself and James Hume's central partnership has been absolutely outstanding. It's been one of the key reasons, I think, why Ulster have enjoyed such a such a brilliant period, really. Obviously, they're still kind of waiting for that trophy to to kind of, you know, mark the in, in impressive strides that they've made. But himself and uh, James Hume have been outstanding together. And the fact that, like, Hume is obviously still out injured with that injury he picked up in the, Ma- the first Maori game in New Zealand. But Luke Marshall comes back in and you didn't really miss Hume. Like, he was outstanding as well. And I think that said a lot about... Um, Stuart McCloskey that both 13s could just fit in and play off him so you never know like he's still he's still young enough like in terms of you know forcing his way back in and I think the fact that Ulster now are playing far far better rugby their attack is so much more so much more in tune with each other than what it was a couple of years ago one of the most exciting backlines when everyone's fit and firing you'd say around so um i wouldn't say the door is fully closed on Stuart mccloskey at all just yet and the fact like i said that he got a call up to new zealand shows that he's not that far away in terms of andy farrell's radar yeah it, it, it was funny to see luke marshall playing so well on saturday he's been around for so long he, he was involved in declan kidney's last six nations campaign in 2013 and obviously he's had injury issues and concussion issues but when he's playing well he's a very good player and just on mccluskey two things the one i know he's a predominantly a 12 chris farrell's predominantly a 13 but given the versatility of some of the other centers you could definitely say that like farrell has 15 caps and has played in world cups and much more six nations games mccluskey's played one six nations game i think mccluskey is a better player than Farrell and has proven longer and been better. Could you have maybe shoehorned in him to 12 and, and maybe moved one of the guys to 13 in some of those games potentially? I know it depends on form. And, and they're they're, they're kind of slightly different players though, Will. Like if you, like I, I would say McCluskey's really come on in terms of his pre-contact work. Like his passing, the passing pre-contact is still the barometer for a great centre in my opinion. You have to be able to do that. Um, I think he's really come on there. Um, I think he's always had an edge over Farrell in the offloading stakes, but I don't think he he has always had um like Farrell actually is lovely is a nice passing game, um it's kind of underrated and I think that's maybe what he why he shone a little bit more with Joe Schmidt versus McCluskey I think, uh, and probably why he got more opportunities there. But it's a good point because they're both very similar, both big guys, um both very physical. Uh, and I actually really like both players. Maybe it's because I just like having someone in there to look after a 10. But um, both have kind of suffered a little bit with injuries, haven't they, from from, from time to time? You'd really, oh, I was hoping to see a bit more of from, from Farrell. I thought he might kick on and put a bit more pressure. But um, just, sorry, just in terms of the Ireland booth. And I thought he'd be a real asset for, for Munster. But, um, you know, both guys, remember, I don't think have been playing behind packs that have been really dominating other teams as well. Like, yeah, you do have to remember that. And that's probably why Bundy Aki's form is so... It Really, what's, what's what makes him stand out is that his Connacht pack isn't always going forward. Yes, they play nice attacking rugby, but I still don't think they dominate. Like, versus Robbie Henshaw and Gary Ringrose, like, that Leinster pack can really dominate a team and are always looking like they're going forward. So they always have that advantage on a week-to-week basis. So we probably have to keep that in mind to a certain extent as well. Like they, I, I think why we're seeing a little bit more of the likes of McCluskey and Hume is because Ulster's pack has really improved. I think it's really improved. I think they've made some... They're, they're still... The front row, you know, still a little bit to go in my mind, but I think I see some young guys there coming through. 
But I think they've got a few more carriers than that over the last couple of years. And I think that's why you see McCluskey coming to the fore a little bit more. And that's why we've seen, look, Hume is a great talent, but um, I still think that's what allows those guys to play a little bit better. Just, just a thought on that, Will. Yeah, last thing on McCluskey is I'm looking forward to two weeks' time, Ulster versus Leinster and Ravenhill, and I think on a Friday night, that'll be a good battle if it's maybe McCluskey versus Robbie Henshaw ahead of uh, you know a November squad being announced in a couple of weeks' time. But just on that ulster Connacht game, generally, Keane, you know, I mentioned at the start, it was an impressive win for Ulster, very disappointing from Connacht, and they face into an absolutely murderous fixture list, two games in South Africa, and then Leinster and Munster at home. It could easily be 0-5 to, to start the season. What, what were your thoughts from, from the weekend? Yeah, it wasn't great, was it? I think um, of all the four provinces, I think Ulster were the most impressive. They looked like they kind of just built from on what they had done last season. And I think, I know we'll get on to Leinster and Connacht, but they still looked like they were, or sorry, Leinster and Munster, but they still looked like they were stuck in very much preseason mode. And in terms of Connacht, yeah, it their issues last year, like we're blue in the face on this podcast from talking about it, was their defence. And to me, it was just as poor as it had been last season. And I think that's really worrying for a first game of the season when, you know, Pete Wilkins has obviously taken over as head coach and Andy Farrell has moved up to, to be director of rugby and Pete Wilkins has taken on uh, the defence. And I think Collie Tucker was looking after it last season. So they've kind of went back to, you know, what they knew, a different kind of system again. But when you think of how much work they must have done over the summer on the defence, and for it to be that poor, I think was alarming, really, to be honest. Um, I know Ulster were, were pretty good, but it was their first hit out of the season as well, and they looked like they, they'd they been playing together for, for months. So, um, yeah, you mentioned the the tough opening that, uh, that Connacht have, Will, and it's in real danger. Like I'm very reluctant to make like sweeping judgments after one game of the season for any of the four provinces that we're going to talk about. But when you look at the schedule alone that Connacht are facing, there's a real danger that they're going to be cut adrift after the first few rounds, which is really not what they need after a tough season last year. Their discipline was atrocious. I think they conceded 15 penalties, which is just really, really poor at this level. 15 penalties, 20 missed tackles, another five tries conceded. Um, that is not what you want. So going away, I was on the Connacht press conference call yesterday with Pete Wilkins and Tom Daly. And, you know, of course, like they're going to give the glass half full approach that they're going to wait South Africa. It's a good time to to bond. But like I know the Stormers and the Bulls are going to be missing their most of their Springbok players who are obviously in the, playing in the rugby championship. But, God, you don't want to be going to South Africa to the home of the champions to, to try and get your season back on track early, this early on. But on the flip side, if Connacht were able to pull off a result, it would give them a massive boost going into what's still going to be a tough run with the Bulls to come next week. I think they showed late on, albeit the game was well dead and buried, what we know they're capable of. They scored a really, really good try through Caelan Blade. Brilliant play by um, Alex Wooten and David Hawkshaw. But, I mean, it's too little too late. We know Connacht are well capable of turning it on like that, but they've got to get the the nuts and the bowls right. And I just think that the fact that they've been working throughout preseason on one of the glaring issues for it to be that poor again, I don't think bodes well for what's to come down the track. And also they lost, they, they just lost moment after moment. That was very, very controllable. Like, I can see why they take a glass half full approach. But the problem for them is that it's been a consistent issue. You know whether it's whether it's giving away a silly penalty at a, at a moment where there's no need, like forty yards from your own goal line, um, you know whether it was making a turnover and then a sloppy kick that didn't go out, they just pile pressure on themselves consistently throughout the game. And I think it what's very worrying for me is that, as you say, Keen, they would have surely anyone 
coming into that setup would say, okay, well, what are two things that we can really fix that'll make a big difference to us next season? If you looked at the two glaring stats, it was the amount of missed tackles last season um, and the the amount of tries conceded, but also the amount of yellow cards and red. Like they were in the bottom four in the league. I think were they bottom three in the league in in yellow and reds combined? Like there are two things that you could fix straight away. and, And you'd have to imagine like because those stats were so glaring that, you know, they would have spent a huge amount of time focusing on that um during the preseason now of course you want to have the ball more as well so you do have to focus on the attack but you know at some point you know because you do look if you, if you have less of the ball you are going to be have, there's going to be more pressure on you and look there's a chance you're going to you know miss more tackles and concede more penalties i get that point um and you don't want to neglect your attack but the, there are two things i think it has to be at a certain level and to my mind they're not even at a you know they're not even at a baseline level at the start of the season and those and those two things um because they went in at half time and you know bar a couple of silly mistakes at the end of the game they could have been that game could have been really close at half time and it could have been a nail biter up in kingspan put it you know home fans maybe getting on on ulster's back you know with you know if they survived another 15 or 20 minutes into the second half um, so I'd be really disappointed with that, and and I would share Keen's concerns around, you know how, you know that, that that bad start that they had, and all those bad moments that they had throughout the game. The flip side and the glass half full approach is that there's lots of controllables there, but they knew that coming into that game. One not silver lining, but boost is that going over to South Africa, some of their big names are back in the squad: Mac Hansen, Bundiaki, and a, a few others. Albeit they will lose Caelan Blade and they will lose Keen Prendergast at some point during that uh, South African tour when they go off with Emerging Ireland, Keen, which brings me on to Emerging Ireland yet again. I know he covered it in, in fairly detail the fashion last week with Rudd, but that was before the squad was announced. So we know we have a clearer picture now about what the next few weeks might look like. You know, having seen the squad now, what, what are your overall thoughts? Like we were chatting off air that, like, from an Ulster perspective, I mentioned that mouth-watering early season fixture against Leinster. Robert Balakoon is going to be gone from that. Nathan Doak is going to be gone from that. Tom Stewart, who was so impressive at the weekend, the young hooker who's played 20s the last few years for Ireland, he'll be gone from that as well. I'm not surprised how McFarland isn't happy with it. But what's your take on, on that specific piece, maybe, or just generally that you've seen the squad? Yeah, well, from obviously Ulster haven't been shy in publicly saying how they feel, but I believe privately they're absolutely raging. Um, all the provinces are unhappy, but I think Ulster out of all four are really really pissed off um I, I was just chatting to you about it will like i mean they've two wingers gone like robert balakoon and ethan mcelroy who's you know back fit this week so you'd imagine he would have been involved and he's been brilliant over the last couple of years as well and for them to also lose two scrum halves i think is a real kick in the teeth uh nathan doke and obviously michael mcdonald who's come back from from australia so um you can really understand why tam mcfarland and the coaches would be annoyed and even if we look at like the Munster situation, I think I'm right in saying that Munster are losing 10 players and all 10 featured in last week's game against Cardiff. Um, so like that is an, an unmerciful whack that you have to take to your squad depth, to your training numbers. You're going to be calling on academy lads. Um, so it's going to be really tough. Now, all the provinces have their Ireland internationals back this week. I don't, and that was part of the agreement that the IRFU had with them that, okay, we're going to be taking 35 lads here, but, you know, the internationals are going to be available. But, like, you're not going to see, well, I'd be very surprised if you see Johnny Sexton, maybe even Robbie Henshaw, those kind of guys feature this weekend. I think you'll see guys more on the fringes coming back because in a World Cup year, these these guys' minutes are going to be have to be managed more than ever. But, like, on a whole, like, 
as a rugby, you know, like, you know, journalist, supporter, whatever, from the from the outside looking in, I'm really excited to see how this tour goes. I can understand the gripes. I can understand the frustrations. I, I without a doubt, I can see that the players would would be getting more game or better. They'd be sp- playing against better quality opposition in the URC. But I think it's more about how they get on behind the scenes. You know, they want to see them within the squad environment. And I think there are a few guys here who have definite claims that they can make a World Cup squad uh, this time next year. And that's ultimately Ooh. what it's... Who do you think? Because like looking at that squad, I think there's very few players other than like Robert Balakun, who like what he's doing there when he should be starting for Ulster against Leinster, I don't know. But besides him, there's no one, maybe a Frawley as well, who Frawley, it seems to I, me I, is I, almost being like a kind of a shot to Leinster saying, if you're not picking him, we're taking him. Like yeah, thing, even, right? when, even when Frawley came on last week, he came on in the centre again. Like It just seems to be they're a bit at loggerheads, maybe. I wouldn't be surprised if Nathan Doak makes a, a late push, to be honest. Um, I've been so impressed with him over the last couple of years. He could, like, depending on, you know, he could put pressure on Craig Casey for that for that second spot. Even Conor Murray, you'd never know. Um, I think a guy like Keen Prendergast, I know he was a little over over eager, I would say, at times in New Zealand, but he's got the frame, he's got the athletic profile, um, could be a bolter. I really like the look of Alex Kendellan. So you never know. I just think I think by and large Andy Farrell knows what his squ- squad will be uh for France next year. But I do think there are a couple of openings. And look, Ireland have never tried this before. They've come up short in World Cup quarterfinals before. So how much of a bearing it will have on that, we'll wait and see. But I'm looking forward to seeing... I think it maybe it's because I always enjoy covering the 20s that maybe I'm just looking forward to seeing how these guys step up. And, you know, I think in New Zealand, I know there's only a few of the lads who were playing in the Maori game, but I thought one of the things that got glossed over a little bit was obviously winning the series was unbelievable. But... I thought the level of improvement from the first Maori game to the to the second Maori game was really, really impressive. And it was really encouraging as well because it not only kind of showed you that the players were stepping up, but also they were taking on the messages that the coaches were giving. So um, I can I can see both sides of it. I know you're not, from talking to you, Will, you're not a, a big fan of it. but um, And I can understand both points of view. But, I mean, it's three extra games to look forward to, and I'm looking forward to watching them, to be honest. Oh, well, I'm looking forward to watching them for sure, but it's just I, in my head. It's kind of now that I've seen the squad, my my thought process is kind of like the, the tour makes sense if you pick players like Balakoon from an Ireland point of view. I don't really see how it makes sense to pick players who are like really on the fringes of the provinces who barely even play for them. I, I don't see for this World Cup cycle how that really benefits it that much. Luke, what's your take on now that we've actually seen the squad? Yeah, I completely agree with you, Will. And I think there's a bit of an out given the quality of the opposition as well. So I think if they, you know, if they win, I think we'll question, you know, how good the the opposition is, and was it actually was there any benefit there? Did we really learn anything from them in in the in the white heat? Like it's very different to a, like a Maori game. You know, you you know that that's pretty high quality opposition, very close to a you know, probably better than lots of uh, international teams, but certainly close to them anyway. Maybe not in this New Zealand's current form, but um, you know historically, you know there's there's some quality players there. So I think you learned a lot for, about people in that one. These ones, I just don't get it. And I think there's a few people that would really benefit from actually playing and staying in the provinces. My opinion has always been that your provincial form is what gives you the platform to go ahead and make the Irish team. And I think you know playing in an interpro would have been far more beneficial for some of these players um, than going down to uh, to, to South Africa. So uh, to you know to play kind of a 
is it kind of play in a scratch team against kind of scratch oppositions? I don't know. It, it just it, it didn't doesn't make any sense to me. And then even to have like Andy Farrell not even coaching the team, that's like another oddity to me. And um, the explanation you know, that like Simon Easterby gave as well, Keen, I, I read it in your piece that it was like we have thirty five players with us, and he's going to monitor the thirty five guys. Back home, what does that mean? Going to Ravenhill to watch Ulster Leinster? Like, it sounds like he'll be he's training on a video. Like, oh, fuck, yeah. that's bizarre to me. Like, what's your read on that, Keen? Like, what, what's actually like? I know you, you kind of, you were there when it was being said. When I read it, I thought it was just, what does that even mean? Like, like, what's he going to be doing? Like, what's he doing that week? Yeah, like he he touched on that he'd be putting plans together, you know, for the November series and even, you know, he mentioned next year's World Cup that there's planning put forward. But I, again, like I totally agree with what you're saying in terms of like, if it's that important, would you not have the head coach there? My understanding is that they will, the squad will go into camp on Friday and they'll have a three-day camp Friday, Saturday and Sunday uh, before flying out to South Africa and into Bloemfontein. I think they'll arrive on Tuesday. But Andy Farrell is going to be heavily involved in the camp this weekend in terms of running things, in terms of setting up the sessions. But then he won't be in South Africa. Um, so it's very strange. Is that a, is it, what, why not have the continuity? Why would he be setting all the sessions and then not yeah, going exactly. in? Why is he so heavily involved in the build-up? And then he's going to be like, lads, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving now. You You're on your own now. Yeah, yeah figure it out. Can you in South Africa, lads? Um, maybe he's, like, maybe oh, he's... The only thing I can think of is, is, it's almost, is it like a succession kind of planning thing from a coaching perspective? Well, there's definitely a huge element of that, and that's what the IRFU will tell you, that they want the coaches to to broaden their horizons but as much as the players. But I don't but know. why take a Frawley then? Why take a Frawley? Like, if I was Frawley, I'd be fuming going on this. Fuming. Well, I, I think Will probably hit the nail on the head there. I think Ireland are taking him because they're going, we are... We can guarantee that he will probably start, we'll say, two of the three games at 10, and he will get minutes at 10. Leinster are not playing him at 10. Leinster see him still as a ball playing 12. And I know, like, I heard of players who were, we'll say, on the cusp of making this, who were almost turning their phones off uh, around the time the squad was being picked. They didn't. I I was thinking that actually, like, can you say no? Like, if I'm Robert Balakou and I'm I'm thinking. Don't even entertain it in your mind. You cannot. If, if, If you're asked to play, you play. That's if it. Ireland's call ever comes, Will, you have to answer it. Yeah. <laughs> nice. You can't get out of it for, for a trip away to one of your exotic holidays. Bloemfontein <laughs> 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 is exotic enough, to be fair. So that might tempt me. Uh, so, but, that, but that did. Like, there are guys, I know there are guys, we're thinking the exact same thing. Like, I am far better off staying here, playing in these interpros, getting URC minutes, than going off to games that aren't going to be on TV. Okay, the senior Ireland coaches will be there. Andy Farrell will be, will be there. I, my understanding is that it's going to be shown on a stream. Will you have many people in the stadium watching it? I don't know. Um, so I can understand why people were keeping their heads down and wanted to stay with their provinces. But again, you never know. If, if you got like a Tom Stewart plays well in, in the games, could he come back and be a bolter? I don't know. Um, he but... won't get in the Ulster team, so no. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's he could put problem. pressure on Rob Herring. In, in the well, like yeah, hopefully Andy Farrell has time to watch it on the stream because I know he'll be busy that week. So maybe if he gets a few minutes of his busy, he's planning so much for the World Cup. He I might think get I, this, this is getting like this is even more like of a circus than I thought. It's not even televised. <laughs> Uh, Jesus, it's been, uh, it's been televised in South Africa, and I think the plan is that it will be shown on a stream on YouTube here. I think is the plan. God Almighty, the glamour of professional rugby. Uh, we, we yeah, we'll probably we'll check back in. With this is a real gloomy you. podcast, isn't it? Well, well, <laughs> sorry, pick it up, Will. Come on, let's get happy well, about something. I was going to move on to Monster. I don't know whether that makes it more or less gloomy. <laughs> uh, Luke, so 
you know, they lost obviously their first game of the season against Cardiff. How how long is it realistic to wait until you start seeing these green shoots, these improvements that maybe say a Mike Prendergast is bringing in? I was interesting listening to Bernard Jackman against the head. He's saying January is when you might start seeing this kind of improvement from your own experience when a new coach comes in. You know, how quickly is it feasible to for us to be seeing a marked improvement, do you think? It took Cheka a while. I, sorry, I'm only going to speak to my own experiences. Um, took Joe Schmidt five or six games, if you remember. There was people calling for his head. So, um, yeah, look, I, I would expect them to actually pick it up a bit sooner than that. I think there's still a good nucleus of players there that are experienced, that are good rugby players. Like, the fundamentals of rugby don't change. Um, and I think they should still expect to be very good at that and be a hard team to beat. I think coming up you know, against the likes of the, the, the better teams in the competition, um, you know, with a more, what would you say, uh, established coaching staff, more established ideas, you know, that might be a bit of a stretch for for certainly the, the, the first half of the season, the first third of the season. So maybe Jackman's right on that one. Um, you know, he'd probably have a good sense of that as a coach. Um, but... Um, Look, I, still, I, I suppose I still have, I still expect better things from them. I, I, what, the one thing, other thing I would say is that I'd like to probably, you'd always like to give a coach a bit more time to, 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 I think get some recruits in as well to kind of, you know, to to get a few bodies that maybe fit the game plan a bit more. I think I'm thinking around trade. I'm thinking that that front row, like there's a few moving parts there this year that, you know, will we'll take a bit of time to bed in. I think that's probably the big risk for for Munster. I don't know what Keen thinks of that. I don't know what you think of that. Will I think that's the big risk factor for them. You know, you'd hope they get a few bodies back. Um, you know that that'll make a big difference for them. I'm thinking of Snyman there is 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 you know a big addition. Can Hearn, you know, in the row as well? Can he make a big impact there? You know that'll release Burn into the back row, and all of a sudden that's a pretty formidable looking. Uh, you know, uh, back five in that monster pack. Um, you know, Fekatoa, like you know, how does he fit in? Can he take them to a new level? Can Carberry stay fit for a season, or do you know do they go with one of the young ones? So there's loads of questions I still think to ask about this monster team, and. I still think that you know you probably need to give a guy a bit more time to, I don't know, get the squad looking a bit more like you know he he'd like it, you know, put his own imprint on it. I think one one, I'm not I'm not gonna I'm gonna use soccer lingo, but like your your transfer your transfer window, you'd probably like to give him one more will, um, you know, before you really start judging him too harshly. Um, so that'll probably be my, my opinion on that. Um, you know, of course, like a loss, it's just it is a miserable way to start things. Um. But, uh, you know, you can't be too harsh too soon. You know, we look at Joe Schmidt and how great he was in the end. So, you know, we, we should hold Stum for a little bit and give him a little bit more time, I think. Yeah, and they have the Dragons this Sunday, which is, you know, a nice bounce-back fixture. They were very poor in the opening game against Edinburgh. And Dean Ryan, their coach, gave them a fairly good shoeing in the media. Keen, you know, what's your view? And I know you were writing about maybe, you know, one or two potential green shoots as well as the, you know, the, you know, the tough, you know, moments as well like defensively they conceded three tries towards the end of last season against both Toulouse and then Ulster in that uh, URC quarterfinal they conceded heavily as well Dennis Leamy has his work cut out in that regard maybe as much as Mike Prendergast in, in some respects like what, what are you hoping to see over the next couple of weeks in terms of improvements uh, I was surprised with the lack of urgency, I think, uh, particularly around the breakdown. I mean, that's just kind of like your nuts and bolts, your your dirty work that, that's a prerequisite, you know. Um, I just thought like players would be much more eager to to make an impression for on the new coaching staff first game out. And that's their small fixes, I think. Um, I'd be I'd agree with Luke. I wouldn't be overly critical um after one game and i do think um i'd probably be agree with bernard jackman that it's going to be i think a few months before 
we probably see this and I don't think that's a slight on the coaching staff or the players but the the, the habits and Mike, Mike Prendergast touched on this when he was talking to to us a couple of weeks ago it takes a while to he, he said to change people's habits and it's a line that's really stuck out for me because like Munster have been so kind of drilled into playing this South African way under Razzy Rasmus and then Johan van Graan and it's going to take time, I think, for that mentality around the place to change. Like, from what I hear, and I don't, like, I truly believe that this isn't kind of hearsay that, you know, that you kind of get when every new coach comes in. But I believe the training has been really, really good. Um, it reminds me a bit of when Andy Farrell, I think, took over as Joe Schmidt. The pressure valve has been released a little bit. Um, I've heard the word chaos being mentioned at training, which is kind of gas when you think about it because like how long has Stuart Lancaster been you know comfortable in chaos theory but the reality is Munster are playing catch up here and every the trends have kind of moved on but they never moved with it they were still kind of playing the South African style of play that clearly didn't suit them uh, so I think it will take time there were a couple of moments in the game not like not a huge amount I mean in the piece I was talking about you were talking about Will on Monday I kind of you know, I thought Keenan Knox did a lot of good things in the game. I mean, he's, you know, his primary job will be to lock down the scrum and a lot is expected of him. But I thought it was encouraging to see him get on the ball in midfield. It's clearly, you know, the way the game has gone. We look at Tyg Furlong, how comfortably he is at doing it. And he does it almost second nature with Johnny Sexton running off his shoulder. And there was a moment in the game where, you know, Ben Healy ran a nice line and Fekatoa makes a break. And you're just like, OK, maybe this is a bit of what they're trying to do. And I think... The thing about it is, like Mike Prendergast will empower the players, I think, to to play rugby. Uh, we we started this conversation talking about Stuart McCloskey in terms of encouraging offloads, and it's not about playing mad kind of you know kamikaze rugby, but there's definitely going to be a more of an openness to it, and I think. Monster fans like will hate the idea, I think, of another period of transition. But if you call a spade a spade, this is what it is, and if you if they want to get back to where, where they should be and how they should be playing. It's going to take time and it's going to require patience. But I think they've got um, a good coaching staff on board. Even Andy Kiriakou, the new forwards coach, was up doing media today. And like he's probably the unknown quantity in the in the group with Leamy, Prendergast and Roundtree. And I thought he spoke quite well as well. He's not a guy who I would have spoken to much, particularly since he's come back. I know he used to play for Munster back in the day. He had a season there, but um, it's going to take time. I mean, there's a lot of new ideas in the pot, you know. Uh, obviously, there's continuity from Roundtree from last season, but trying to pick the, I say, the scraps of positives that were there in the previous era and building them forward, I think is going to be a bit of a challenge because, like, they're really changing their they're they're struggling they're they're on searching for their identity is, is what i would say i think munster have lost that over the last couple of years but i think with the people that roundtree has assembled i think he's got the right the right people on board and the thing about it is the academy is producing really good players again and i think like particularly in the back line uh there's plenty of quality there and guys who like you think of like someone like simon zebo Antoine Frisch has come in and you know by all accounts he's going to be a bit of a wild card as well so um the, the problem for Munster will be this season, and Luke has hit the nail on the head, can their front five get them front football? And without Snyman in that pack, I still think they have the concerns of old. I don't think we can expect, you know, Keenan Knox to come in and all of a sudden be like Tyg Furlong. And to me, when it comes to 
the business end of the season in particular against the bigger teams, I still think they look a, a little bit light. Um, so that's not going to change. They can't just sign someone. Um, they, I think they were in the market for you know a tight head. I still think they're a little bit light at hooker. Josh Witcherly at loose head, I think, is an exciting prospect. But um, similar problems of old. But maybe if they can change like the mentality or something around it, they can get more out of the players that they have. Because like I said, I think there is plenty of quality in the squad. It's not a front five player, but someone who really stood out to me, I thought it was really good the weekend, was Paddy Patterson at scrum half. I, I thought he had a really good game. thought his passing looked good, had a few snipes. His option taking as well about which player to hit. I, I was really impressed with. So even though there's Conor Murray and, and Craig Casey there, I will be interested to see if he can kick on over the next couple of weeks. From a Leinster perspective, Luke, they started with a win, but it was a bizarre game. They were 21-0 up against Zebre. Ended up conceding five tries. You know, Defensively, you know there was some back three kind of mix-ups through the centre as well at one stage. I think Charlie Natai in his debut maybe got turned around for one of the tries. What does it make of it? Because like, you don't really associate that sort of performance with Leinster traditionally. They had a pretty strong team out. I know, obviously, the frontliners weren't playing, but some some real quality there as well. Yeah, it looked like, to my mind, a real start-of-the-season type performance. You know, you come out of the gates, Zebra looked a bit all over the place, and Leinster took advantage of that. Um, and then just couldn't really kick on, you know. I think that was that was what I, I took from that. And look, you have to give credit to Zebra. Like, I mean, they're, they can't... I've, I've had a few fixtures down there that have been pretty tricky as well. So, look, it was... Credit where it's due, but look, I think Leinster will be disappointed with it. As you say, you know, they've got to be defensively a little bit stingier. And I think if they think back on their season, last couple of seasons really, defensively actually, they kind of cost them on the big occasions. Like if you think of the La Rochelle game, they were quite leaky against them. I mean, you think of the, um, uh, oh, uh, it was a rule, sorry, the, the, the yeah, winger. Rule, I mean, that's why, yeah. Like that was really poor. They were numbered up really well there. Um, you know, kind of a similar enough type offload to actually the McCluskey one that was it was but it was terrible defense actually out wide and then um you know even for Keenan not to not to tackle them going through like there was I think defensively probably for for Leinster it's actually not going to be an attack thing that I think their attack is very very solid um and isn't you know going to be a reason to stop them uh, winning something but I think their defense could be actually um, and I think, you know, they need to be one of those teams just stingy every single game. And I think they've got the potential to do that, provided they're mentally right. And look, you need to be mentally right for the whole game. So uh, that's, I think, what, what they'll be probably looking at and thinking about. Well, sorry, if I was a Leinster coach, that's what I'd be, you know, exactly thinking about. It's like, you know, if that defense is stingy as it should be, given the personnel that they have and the pack that they have, um you know, that's where they become like a really difficult proposition for any team in Europe. And that's what takes them, I think, to to a European Cup. And I think that's what's that's the aim for, for Leinster. They're fairly open about that. Um, and to my mind, that's the next the, the next frontier for them is to get back to being that team that's really hard to break down. And, you know, games on the, go like that on the weekend. Uh, it is the start of the season and there's a few new bodies in there. They're the ones that you got to be nilling teams. They're, they're that much better than Zebra, even without their front liners, in, in my opinion. I don't know what you guys think. Well, they only beat Zebra by three points last year and four this year. So technically, that's a 33 and one third percent improvement. That's what you can take. You can take that to the boardroom and show off your, your impressive numbers. But uh, Keen, uh, all jokes aside, like anything to, you know, to stood stu- out to you or anything of interest, as Luke mentioned, it's 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 game number one. It, it is Zebra. It's some players who probably won't be featuring in some of the bigger games. But, you know, we do expect higher standards from Leinster all the same. Yeah, that is probably th- will the the big thing that I took away from it. Um, and I I've definitely made this point um several times uh, with you guys before. 
the Leinster squad is so competitive that whenever you get a chance, it doesn't matter if it's the first game of the season, you've got to take it. And for me, I don't know, I feel like there's a couple of guys in the squad who I've seen a bits and pieces of and they don't, to me, they look short on the standards that Leinster require. And again, like similar enough to Munster, I was a bit surprised that they weren't kind of more, you know, didn't show more urgency. I was surprised that more the kind of the younger Leinster guys weren't a bit sharper, a bit hungrier, you know, because the more the internationals are going to be back, um, like I said, this weekend. And, you know, once it gets into the meat of the season, your opportunities are going to be limited. And you don't want to be kind of thinking, okay, well, when November, or even there's no games on in November this this time, I know, but you don't want to be relying on just when the internationals are away that this is where you're going to pick up your game time. You're, you've got to expect more of yourself and I think drive your standards. And to concede, I think they conceded two tries at first phase to Zebra, which is really, really disappointing, no matter if it's the first game of the season or if it's the last game of the season. So I think they'll I think they'll be concerned by that. But again, like I mean, they've so much scope and room for improvement. I think the biggest thing for Leinster this season is losing the semi-final to La Rochelle a couple of years ago was obviously massive for them. They went away, they kind of went back to drawing board. Okay, like let's, you know, think outside the box. How can we beat a team like La Rochelle? And then they play La Rochelle in the final last year. And okay, like it was a really close game, but they still came up short. So I would wonder, will that have an even bigger impact? And it's interesting to see Declan Darcy has come in on board this year. You know, they're they're clearly trying to think outside the box to, to do something different because I certainly believed coming into the Champions Cup final last year that Leinster were in a better place. I know like the first, the semi-final was played behind closed doors. It was a really weird game. They were missing a couple of players, but I felt they were primed. You know, it seemed like their time to go on and win it and they didn't. And I think that that will have hurt. Well, it clearly hurt them massively because they ended up, you know, the season fizzled out and they lost to the Bulls at home as well. So um, what is it? The first season since t- 2017, I think that they're coming into season without a trophy. And it's something actually we were chatting to Jack Conan about today. And he was kind of saying the last time that happened, the the following season, they went on and won the double in 2018. So um, that's obviously what they have their, their sight set on this season. There's no doubt that they're capable of it. But as we've seen last year, the South Africans have just made it so much tougher to win. So, I think it's a good thing, though. I think, you know, no one is resting on their laurels. You know, Jack Conan speaking about the fact that, you know, motivation levels have never been as high in Leinster. You know, he mentioned like words like despair, you know, all this kind of stuff. So um, that would really kick them on. But, can you know, like like you touched on, well, being 21 nil up and conceding off first phase to, to a Zebra team, I think that will hurt more the, the younger guys who, you know, when it comes to the crunch is Leo Cullen and Stuart Lancaster, are they going to be able to trust them? So again, like that's not to kind of make a sweeping judgment because like I said at the start, it's it's way too hard to be judging. But I would just have concerns about kind of Leinster's emerging tier that some of those guys are maybe not of the standards of other guys that we've seen in previous years because we do spend so much time lauding Leinster's depth that, you know, I think it's worth pointing out that, you know, it's not always a kind of a perfect transition. Yeah, that's a really good point, Keen. I've actually had some conversations about with some people who are close close enough to the coaching staff, we put it that way, and that is a concern. There, there, there's the, the person that I was talking to uh, feels like there's a, there's a big gap and that people think they're better than they are um so yeah like it's interesting that's interesting that you spotted that just from from looking at the games or from your kind of from from being around the squad at, at, at scrum you know media scrums and watching games so i think um you know i think sometimes you know particularly when you're younger even look, just generally young people uh we all know from our lives you know but um 
you don't sometimes you don't figure out how important some of the early opportunities are that you have and you don't realize until it's too late that jesus i like there's only 18 rounds of, of games here that i can that i can play in <laughs> you know what i mean so that opportunity there is actually seriously important uh, to me um and hopefully there's not too many guys that that kind of you know their career is going to fizzle out because they don't realize how important these chances are so it's a good spot by you i think and it's probably uh, you know maybe a worry that's that's shared amongst um people very close to the squad yeah certainly an interesting one to watch over the, the next few weeks and months just before you finish up on leinster and touch on that matthew Reynald decision before the end of the show I asked listeners to get in touch with questions again. And there was a good one in, a bit off topic, but on Leinster nonetheless from Owen Hazen. And Keen, I'll go to you with it first. Who is the leader in the clubhouse now at Hooker? You know, Dan Keller, or sorry, Ronan Keller, who returned at the weekend. Dan Sheehan, though, played in the summer against the All Blacks and was really, really good. What's your one two order there now? Dan Keller, Dan Kelleher would be some hooker, all right. I know. Just put, Combined, just, yeah, <laughs> we just put two together. Uh, it is a good question, to be fair. Yeah, um, I would be of the opinion that you know the kind of old school approach that the man in possession of the jersey should keep hold of it. And I was really impressed with Dan Sheehan on the Ireland tour. We we know how good Ronan Kelleher is, and I think it's going to be a massive part of you know Ireland's November into their Six Nations and the World Cup that one-two punch that they have. I think Rob Herring did really well. He ended up scoring a try in the third test. Um, but you know having Sheehan and Keller gives you something different. And I thought Sheehan came on massively on that tour. He's a really confident uh, guy. Um, if ever you get to speak to him, and he's just really assured. And I think. He was one of the guys, I think, that would have grown massively from that tour because if we're being realistic, Ronan Kelleher, if he'd been fit, probably would have started the tour. Well, he would have started the tour as first-choice hooker. So an absolutely invaluable experience. And I think personally, yeah, like obviously there's a lot of rugby to be played from now until then. But if we're talking about the Springboks game in early November, I think Dan Sheehan has done nothing wrong to, to lose that jersey. And I think that's a healthy that's a healthy kind of message to send out. I think too too many times in the past under the previous regime, guys were just able to walk back into the team and take their jersey. So um, I haven't seen Dan Sheehan do anything wrong at all to, to say that he shouldn't start that game against the Springboks. That's just my opinion, but I'm a big fan of Ronan Kelleher as well. Yeah, and he stepped in really well in the Six Nations as well after Ronan Kelleher picked up an injury also. So yeah, another one to watch. Just to finish up then, Luke, I teed up at the start of the show. Matthew Reynal was the man of the moment last Thursday, New Zealand versus Australia, his decision to penalise Australia for time-wasting at that last penalty in front of the post, giving New Zealand a scrum, and eventually them scoring a try and winning the game. Caused a lot of controversy. Initially, there was a kind of a backlash against the decision, then the backlash against the backlash, and now I think I'm coming around to a backlash against the backlash to the backlash. Uh, but what's your, what's your thought what's your on question? it? <laughs> was it the right decision, in your opinion? Should, should he have made the decision? Which backlash would you like me to comment on? No, I think um, <laughs> I think you know on reflection there was a few a few videos that kind of emerged um, of the interaction between Reynal and Foley, and actually looks like he's made a really brave decision. Um, and interestingly enough, I think I'm not sure I've heard many people talk about this, but I actually think Foley is not 100 at fault either. I actually think the whole Aussie team went to sleep at that point. If you look at him, he looks like he's turning back to see whether his pack are lined up in case he misses touch a couple of times. Now he is walking about like, look, it is his responsibility just to put the thing into touch. But I actually thought the whole Aussie team, the, the pack weren't ready to chase the, the kick. Um, so yeah, I'm not sure it's all, all the blame lies at, at his feet, but 
Um, I actually thought it was a really brave decision. Uh, it was erratic. I think at the time I was disappointed because it just, it's so rare you see something like that happen and you're kind of saying, well, look, where's the consistency? But if you look at the actual interaction, it looks like he turns off the clock and actually tells him, you you know, you need to kick that. Um, I think he's pretty, pretty clear on that. So um, I probably come around to thinking that the referees actually made a really brave call in a massive moment. And I think the Aussies just fell asleep after, you know, what was a brilliant turnover. So, um, yeah, that, that's my view on reflection, Will. I think there's going to be lots of people that are calling for, you know, referees to be more consistent in that respect. And I actually think that's going to be a good thing, provided they actually do act upon it. So, um, like, my, one of the big things with rugby, I think, at the moment that I find very frustrating um, is all the time wasting, particularly at scrums is a big bugbear of mine at the moment. I think all the resets are taking way too long. Um, so I think quickening, quickening up the game makes for a way better, um, way better spectacle, you know. And if it, and if the teams are more tired, they make more defensive errors, and I think it opens up the game a bit. So yeah, I'm all for them speeding it up. And I think in that situation, he was 100 percent right. Yeah, King, we had a good chat of it off air. It was probably we could just probably copy and paste that clip that we probably ran for five or six minutes just discussing it before Luke logged in. You know, my view on it is that I I agree with Luke. Certainly a brave call technically maybe was correct you know Bernard Foley did take his time over that kick but at the same time I've just like it's never called I just I've never seen that called it's certainly in that kind of situation you know the amount of times you see you know Caterpillar Rooks taking ages the referee saying to use it it's not used and then he still doesn't blow it I, I, and then like the interaction afterwards with Nick White when he was like in his face and he was like you know you you, you didn't think I'd call it now you know like I just I don't know what if I if Reynal was inserting himself into it or what. I just I, I I just think still that it was the wrong call. And I actually don't think the time wasting was so egregious to deserve being called up. Like I've watched it a couple of times myself. Have you I seen Andy Goods? Right Andy Goods is a good thing in his Twitter. Will have you seen Andy Goods' Twitter? Oh of yeah, the I saw it earlier. Like, and he he is clear, but the clip Andy Goods shared is like the ref mic. Like the idea that Foley can hear that as clearly as we can hear it in that clip, I don't think is correct. Like we're getting the ref mic fed into our screens and into our audio. The idea that Bernard but he Foley stops maybe, time. He stops time to tell him. He certainly tells him a few times. And Bernard Foley is, you know, is to blame ultimately. But I still don't think it was the right decision. I just don't think it's ever, that ever called. And I don't think he's taking that much time. I, I actually don't. And I feel like right now at the start of the clip is like badgering him almost. Like as in you do get a little bit of a grace period when a penalty has been awarded to, you know, to set yourself, to look around, to kick the ball. I don't think it was as egregious as people are making it out to be. And that's why I think that Right now, I was almost badgering him at the start of the clip when I'm like, well, hold on, Matthew. Like, the penalty's just been awarded. I think they're a bit helter-skelter here. And, I, and then I, just don't, I don't think it's ever given. So and maybe if it was against the All Blacks, I wouldn't be as annoyed, but I don't know. Hold your horses, hold your horses, Matthew. Um, <laughs> no, what I was, what I was going to say was, I think it was kind of telling, and to be fair, it's, I'm definitely a hindsight on this because when I was watching her at the time, I was just like, this is insane. Like classic, you know, Matthew Reyna, like you said, Will, kind of inserting himself as the narrative. But I think the subsequent videos have come out. I've definitely come around. And even you can see a couple of the Australian players behind Bernard Foley, you know, telling him to kick it to touch, which to me kind of spoke volumes. They obviously knew and they could hear, obviously, Reynal giving him the instruction. Um, so I don't know how... like. It was obviously harsh at that stage of the game, but my gut would tell me that he knew what he was doing. He's been around a long time, Foley. But I thought, you know, in terms of the interaction after the game, Will, I thought it was really interesting that we got to hear that because if anyone, any of the listeners ever have like a, a ref mic at the Aviva or whatever, the second the full-time whistle goes, they shut that off. 
And I was like, how are we hearing this? Because like to me, it just screamed like Raynal wanted, you know, to get his point across and he's jabbing the finger in Nick White's, you know, chest and stuff. And I was like, this is just like absolute gold. Again, from a neutral's point of view, watching from afar, I just thought the chaos was just absolutely brilliant but like we never get to hear those interactions with referees and players before the match because the feed gets cut so um i just thought that bring the added to the drama to be honest i'm just thinking imagine if Ireland all blacks Jakob piper makes that decision against johnny sex and I, I i like i can only imagine the reaction we would have had Jakob piper's unsafe out there like he's like if i was a player i'd be like put, put like have you got a bigger helmet i need i need some i need something to protect my head like he's <laughs> He just sees the game completely differently. I don't, I don't, um, yeah. I'm, I'm, let's, let's not get started on him. <laughs> Jesus. We'll we'll, we'll, look, it should, it should be, this should, like all jokes aside, this should be used as a precedent going forward because Luke is right. Time wasting is such a scourge in the game. Like, how many games do we see go to 100 minutes in terms of, like, you know, the, and the ball and play time isn't high enough either. So, it's interesting, like when World Rugby bring out these directives, usually for, you know, the first couple of months, like the referees are really hot on whatever it is around the breakdown, scrums, lineouts, and then it kind of goes back to normal. But the fact that there was no kind of, well, as far as we know, no directive given. Can do you think time wasting is a huge issue? Like I know games are lasting a really long time, but for me, that's not because of time wasting. For me, it's because of TMO interventions that are taking like an age. I, I don't like. I watch a lot of matches over the weekend. I would never be like, oh, uh, I th- well, I think loads of teams do their best to slow it down. Like the box, like Exeter teams, like that, really want to slow out the game down. They don't want it to be a fast paced game, and I do think it is an issue. To be honest, um, I'm obviously just teams- naive. Yeah. I just, I just you think know, everyone is injured. You know what I think, Will? For, do you know what really turned my mind? I, when I, I went to a game with, um, I was actually with work, and we were, um, I was, I was sitting with a lot of guys who don't watch rugby, um, and they could not believe it. It was a Six Nations game. I think it was Ireland, um, Scotland. Now it's the start of the competition, so I was explaining to them, look, it's going to be a little bit messier today, but there was a lot of drop ball in it, and the scrums, like honestly. You know, they were like, "When's are we actually going to watch any rugby here?" Like they're they were kind of you know footy fans really, um, you know where the ball doesn't play a lot. Um, and I would argue there's probably not as many things to cheer at in a, in a football game versus a rugby game. Um, but I had to agree with them. Like that the scrums were a big issue. The amount of time, like two or three minutes before the games even restarted. Um, and I think yeah, like if we can speed it up, I think it it, it just creates more opportunities for. You know the players that you you know the, the plays that you really want to see in the game. People breaking the line, breaking the defensive line, people scoring tries. I think that's that's what we want to see ultimately. I think more of. Um, of course, we love the technical parts, but it just I, I do I do think you know if, if there's parts of the games that we can speed up, we should be doing it. A fair point. I was just thinking that I don't think it's particularly like incidents like that 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 is the reason games are going on so long. I think as you mentioned, the scrums taking an age, TMO interventions taking an age. There's a whole host of reasons, but you know we'll see. As Keen mentioned, will this start this kind of like you know era of whistling teams for taking too long at, at, at penalties at other kind of stoppages? That'll be interesting to see. Because if it's not, then we can point back maybe and say that it was a particularly harsh call. But I suppose that'll only only time will tell uh, on that score. I'd like to thank Luke and Keen for joining me tonight, and thanks so much for listening as well. We'll be back next week with another podcast. In the meantime, you can review and rate us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. But until next time, thanks for listening and goodbye. This is an Irish independent podcast.